God uh, speaks to us through his word, the Bible, and, and we've just heard that. So like when we hear the Bible read, that's God speaking to us through his word. And, and prayer is, is talking back to the God who has first spoken to us. And I'm going to pray now and just ask for God to help us understand what it is he spoke to us and also to help me explain that clearly so that we can all understand because uh, you wouldn't want me to be unclear, would you? <laughs> so let's ask for God's help to do that. Dear Father God in heaven, thank you so much that you are a God who is not silent but speaks to us through your word, the written word, the Bible. We pray that you would help us to understand what it is that you have written through human hands and that you would help me to be able to explain it clearly and well so that we may see who Jesus is and why we need to trust in him. And we ask this for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, uh, there were some floods in Mozambique and in the news I saw this picture of a woman, um, Sophia Pedro, and she was hanging on to the tree um, while there were floodwaters swirling underneath her, beneath her. But she was pregnant at the time and literally so pregnant she was about to give birth. So a rescue helicopter was coming to try to save the people caught in the flood but before the helicopter could arrive she actually gave birth. And so there she was holding onto the tree with one hand and holding on to her newborn daughter with the other hand. It's one of the most remarkable things. And the point is, from the moment that you and I are born into the world, we're born into the world facing danger. We're born into this world facing the possibility of death. We're not born into the Garden of Eden. We're not born into heaven. We're born into that part of the world which is between Eden and heaven. And it's a world that is actually underneath God's judgment because the first people that he created, Adam and Eve, said no to God ruling their lives and they came under his judgment, his just punishment for saying no to God, which is what we call sin. Now, all of us, if we are born into this world, then everyone, whether we're Christian or not Christian, will be underneath this judgment or suffering. All over our world, we know that there's different kinds of suffering. Uh, in In the last months in the Philippines, there's been that typhoon, Haiyan, which has killed thousands of people. There's been flooding in Peru, earthquakes. There's still fighting going on and people being killed daily in Syria. Tornadoes in the United States each year come and, and kill hundreds of people. You know about the tsunamis, um, both here in Asia in 2004 and Japan in 2011. Um, in Malaysia, Bibles have been um, confiscated from the Bible Society, the Christians who are suffering there. And even recently here in Singapore, there was, on the front page, this lady got kidnapped. Um, and um, it's just terrible. Every day, children die of hunger. Every day, 30,000 children die of hunger. If you come back next week, and and let me encourage you that that would be a good thing to do if you're free, um, by this time next week, while you're sitting in your chairs, 
another 200,000 children will have died of hunger. And it makes us ask the question, well, there's all this suffering in this world and God's meant to be in control and he's meant to love the world, then what is he doing? Why isn't he taking action? Doesn't he care? Is is he asleep? Has he just forgotten about the world that he created? And today, what we will see together from his word is that God is not asleep. He does care. And one day, he will return and put everything that's wrong with this world right. He will put an end to suffering for all who trust in Jesus. So let's start looking at the, the passage. So Revelation chapter 6, big number 6, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 8, which is small numbers 1 to 8. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and was given a crown. He rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Then the lamb opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. We didn't read it, but in the chapter just before this in Revelation chapter 5, we see that Jesus is the only person in the whole world that is worthy or able to be able to open these scrolls or books that have seals or locks. And as Jesus the Lamb opens up each of these four seals, first four seals, a rider on the horse comes out. These four seals seem to represent what we could call general suffering um, throughout the world, general suffering and death in our world, either as a result of war or perhaps greed or sickness or, or famine, which is lack of food. And we see a similar thing, mention of, of wars and suffering in another part of the Bible, uh, which is Matthew chapter 24. Uh, let me read this for you. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. 
All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted, to be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. In Matthew chapter 24 here, Jesus tells us that disaster and suffering in our world must happen. But that doesn't mean that the world will yet end. In fact, our world has been suffering from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when the first people that God created rejected God as their king and said no and began to live lives their own way with themselves in charge, which is the heart of sin. The key point um, here in Revelation chapter 6 is that each rider that rides out to bring judgment only has power to do that given to him by Jesus and its power is limited. Jesus is the one who is opening the seals. So ultimately, he is the one who controls what disasters come or don't come. Although disasters feel scary, has anyone been in flooding or um, been in a a natural disaster? Um, And indeed, they are scary if, if you're in the middle of it. It's very comforting to know that ultimately, They're under Jesus' control. There's a little children's song, a Sunday school song, a Christian song that children sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah, And that's Jesus. That's what's happening. Jesus has the whole world under his control. The earth doesn't quake unless he quakes it or shakes it. The tornado's wind and the tsunami's waves don't come unless Jesus causes it to come. They're under his just and loving hands, under the hands of the one who said to the waves, be calm, and to the storm and the wind, be still. Jesus has it under control. Now, if Jesus has everything under control, then what about Christians? (laughs) What about Christians who are part of these disasters and part of this suffering world? What about them and their faith in Jesus? Well, the next section deals with that. So look with me if you've got your Bibles open. Uh, Chapter 6, and I'm going to read from small number 9, verse 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, that's Jesus, how long, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. The picture here is of God's people, Christians, who just like Jesus was slain, killed on the cross, have been slain or killed, verse 9, for their trust in and their witness to Jesus as the true king of the world. We call Christians who suffer in this way martyrs and it actually comes from the original Greek word which means to witness to. If you're like me, you just want a nice, easy-going life. 
you sit back, you enjoy chili crab, you enjoy cha kwe tiao or bihun, um, you just want a nice, nice, easy going life, carefree, no troubles. But that's not the reality of this world. <laughs> this passage reminds us that even God's people, Christians, have suffered and will suffer as they live for Jesus in a world that hated Jesus enough to kill him and put him on a cross to die. Even when Jesus came into our world, although he had done nothing wrong, he was killed, hung on a cross by evil people, us, as part of that. And so no one, not even Christians, are safe from suffering in this world. These martyrs, these people who have suffered for their faith in Jesus, cry out to him, how long, sovereign Lord, will it take before you, Jesus, come to judge those who have hurt your people? And how long will it take before you put things right? Verse 10. In verse 11, Jesus says, just a little longer. Jesus reminds us here that he isn't blind to people's tears or their suffering. He isn't deaf to their cries for help. He will not let evil go unpunished, but he will do it according to his plan just a little longer. I'm in control of this, not you, so you wait just a little longer. It will be done according to my timetable, not yours. 2 Peter chapter 3 actually reminds us that Jesus is holding back his judgement upon our world in order to give people who do not yet trust in him a chance to turn back and accept him as the only one who can save them from the coming judgement and punishment and as the person who is truly the king of their lives. Jesus proved that he was king of the world when he rose from the dead we celebrate that at Easter time in the resurrection and that proves he is the one who has power over life and death. And even now he is ruling our world from heaven. We can't see it, but he is in control. And so Jesus is waiting patiently for the full number of people who are yet to trust in him and the full number of Christians, verse 11, who must suffer before they come into his kingdom. So should Christians just do nothing? Should we just wait that little while longer, however longer that will be, and just let people attack us? Most of um, the films today um, seem to have a common theme of, of revenge, um, um, you know, an eye for an eye, um, or James Bond, or um, Taken, which talks about like a family that's kidnapped. Um, uh, in fact, I think there's even a, a, a kidnap too because it's not enough to be just kidnapped once. Uh, you can be kidnapped people again and um, demand more money and get more revenge. And the general idea is that you killed the person that I love, so I'm going to kill a person that you love. Your son, your father, your mother, your whoever it is. But Christians aren't to live by revenge. Vengeance belongs to God, not to us as Christians. We have been people who have been saved by God's grace. When we hurt Jesus, what did he do? 
He absorbed the hurt and he responded in love. He gave his life to the people that hurt him and killed him and rejected him. And so Christians are called to respond in the same way. When people hurt us, we are to respond with grace, with love. We are to treat them better than they deserve. We are not to take justice into our hands. God has set up governments to punish the evildoer. We're told that in Romans chapter 13 and to keep its citizens safe. And so if somebody has hurt you somehow, maybe your boss or a shop person or landlord treats you unfairly, you can appeal to the government authorities to take action on your behalf and that's, that still happens. Yeah? In Australia you can appeal to the government and here um, that can happen. Ultimately, we are to wait and trust, verse 11, that Jesus will deal with injustice, but not according to our timetable, according to his. And so perhaps next time when someone says to you, look, it's unfair that there should be suffering in this world or or injustice, you can say to them, yes, you're right. And aren't you glad that Jesus will come and deal with that? completely and fully so people do not get away with injustice because that's what will happen. Verses 12 to 17. Look with it with me. I watched as he, this is still Jesus who's opening the seals, as he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. The stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? In this sixth seal, in verses 12 and 13, we see earthquakes. We see the sun turning black and normally it doesn't do that, it's bright. The moon turns blood red and, and the stars are falling out of the sky. Now, now this kind of seems a bit strange. It's not your everyday um, occurrence here in Singapore or even in Australia. But the way that we try to understand one part of God's word that is less clear is to go to another part of God's word which can help explain it to us. One of the principles of, of, of understanding the Bible is that the Bible interprets the Bible. One part of God's word will help us understand another part of God's word. And so, uh, we actually see some of the, the description here come up elsewhere in the Bible. The, these are Old Testament images of what is called the day of the Lord when God would come to judge the world and to save those who trusted in, in him, his people. One example of that is from the book of Joel in the Old Testament. Uh, I'll just read a couple of uh, verses from there. It says, The sun will be turned to darkness 
and the moon to blood. See, it's exactly the same words as in um, Revelation. Before, uh, and so what, what will that mean? Well, we're told it explains itself. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who we now know as Jesus, will be saved. There's a second part, um, from again from Matthew 24, and let me read this. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky. Again, very much the same imagery. They will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather around his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. It's not clear whether all these events are exactly literal or whether it's like a picture-like language of just describing the general situation. But what is clear is that there will be a judgement. Jesus is coming. He will return to judge the world and people will hide. In verse 16, did you see that? Where they were hiding? Under rocks and and caves. And they're hiding from God's judgement the judgment of God and Jesus which will come upon them for not having recognised God, for not having trusted in Jesus, for not having followed and listened to him. It will be a dreadful day if you are not Christian, if you are not trusting that Jesus died to save you from that punishment or not living with him as your king. I wonder here if anybody has ever seen a lamb. You have lambs in Singapore. We have lots of lambs in Australia. Um, you know, lambs, okay. um, lambs. Has anyone here seen an angry lamb? You will. You will. One of the names of Jesus is that the Lamb of God. That, that, that's, again, it's, it's talking about him as the sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice that pays the just penalty, the punishment for our our sin, our rebellion against God. And this lamb, Jesus, will continue to be very angry against those people who who know that he is the true king of the world, but continue to live life without him and to push him aside and just continue to live life day by day thinking that you're in charge and ignoring what you've heard about Jesus. We see here Jesus being justly angry with the evil and the suffering in our world. And part of the evil is people who reject God, their creator. God gave you life and to leave him out of your life is wrong. He is the king. He is your master, he is your Lord. The key question in verse 17 is the day of the wrath has come and who can withstand it? Who can survive God's judgment? Well, we come to uh, the last part, chapter 7, which answers that question. So we move to the last point, uh, point 3. Let me read from chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 3, small number 1 to 3. 
After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land, all the sea, all the trees, until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. If chapter 6 was all about the judgment, God's judgment on our world, and chapter 7 is all about salvation. Small number 3, verse 3, talks about God's people being sealed or marked to keep them safe from God's judgment. When we go again to another part of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that God's people were marked or sealed not only before the world is destroyed, but in fact, even before creation began. Not with a, a like a marker pen that like little kids, you know those kids in, uh, this is a um, uh, childcare place, you know the kids kind of pick up a mark and they put a cross on your head and on their arms and bodies. Yeah, not like that, but marked with the Holy Spirit. And so we've got the question of how many people will be saved? How many people can withstand God's judgement on when the day of, of God's judgement that was asked in 6, chapter, uh, 6 verse 17? Well, we get our answer in verses 4 and then uh, come with me to verses 9 and 10. Chapter 7, small number 4 and then moving to small number 9. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Small number 9. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see there, these are the ones who are crying out that salvation belongs to the Lamb. They're the ones who have been saved by Jesus' death. They're Christians. These are who these people are. The Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, which is a, a group that teaches wrong teaching about the Bible, have used Revelation verse 4 to teach that only a special, limited, exclusive group of 144,000 people uh, will be saved and go to be with Jesus in heaven, while the rest kind of will, might, who, who trust might share a paradise on earth. Now this is wrong for a whole number of reasons, um, mainly because things like numbers or even colours, um, you know, like we saw at the beginning of chapter 6 uh, in Revelation, are mostly symbolic. 144,000, again, seems to be one of those symbolic numbers. Uh, it kind of, um, is there, anyone do maths here? Eh? Yeah, do the math with me. Um, so like it's like a thousand, which is kind of like a, a, a large number, uh, times 12, uh, maybe representing the 12 Old Testament tribes uh, and then times 12 again, maybe representing the 12 New Testament apostles, followers of Jesus 
And so you get 144,000. Uh, it's uh, back in chapter 6, verse 11, it, it, it was waiting until the full number of God's people would come. And again, this seems to be it. This is it's kind of representing the complete number of God's people. And another way of looking at it is just like in chapter 5, where John, who wrote this, wrote the book of Revelation, heard about a line of Judah. So he hears about a line of Judah. But what he looks, he sees a lamb that is slain. And the two things, what he hears and what he sees, uh, are in fact the same thing. The line of Judah and the lamb that was slain uh, both represent Jesus. And so it seems here also, uh, in chapter 7, that what John heard, which is like 144,000 Jews from the different tribes, is in fact the same as what John sees in verse 9, which is in fact a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language. The two are, the, are in fact the same thing. And again, it's, it's a symbolism, it's a type of literature that, that, that we're looking at. And here, in verse 9, we find the answer to the question that was asked in chapter 6, verse 17. For there it said, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can it says withstand it, but the word is literally stand. Who can stand? And here in verse 9, we see the ones who are standing are in fact people from every nation, tribe and language who have been saved because they claim salvation <laughs> belongs to the Lamb, who have been saved by trusting in what Jesus has done, his death and his resurrection. Remember the song that we sang a little bit earlier? You know, only by grace can we enter, only by grace can we stand. Lord, if you marked our transgressions, who could stand? No one. That is chapter 6, verse 17. Those not trusting in Jesus. The ones who can stand are ones who have been graciously saved by God's grace through Jesus. They're the ones standing. They're not standing in, their, in what they've done. They're standing in what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection to make them clean before God. Heaven will be a gathering of people from all over the world. Here from Singapore, from China, from India, from Italy, from Ireland, from Ethiopia, from the Philippines, from Malaysia, even from Australia. I know it's hard to believe, but there will be even few people from Australia who are, are trusting, or, or God willing, many people from Australia as well. And that's why the, the focus or this international student ministry is so important because as the nations come to places like the US and the UK and Australia and even here in Singapore, there's, there's close to 100,000 international students in Singapore, we need to try and reach these nations for Christ, share Jesus with them so that they can come in, be built up, uh, come to trust in Jesus, be built up in faith in Jesus and then go back to their own countries to win their nations for Jesus. So they can be part of this end vision here in Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10 of every nation gathered there. And that's why I said, if that's God's big plan for the world, firstly, are you going to be there? So are you trusting in Jesus? And who else would you love to be there? Because if you'd love other people to be there as well, then share Jesus with them. The only way to be safe 
from God's end time world judgment is to trust in Jesus, the lamb that was slain, the sacrificial lamb through his death and resurrection to forgive us for our sin, to forgive us for our attitude of rejecting God and leaving him out of our life. And let me ask you, have you done that? Have you done that yet? That is what it means to be a Christian, to have asked Jesus to save you from this coming judgment and to live with him as your king. And and if you haven't done it, please don't leave it too late, late because Jesus tells us it's just a little while longer before he returns. And so please don't leave this morning without perhaps chatting to, to Pastor Andrew or Pastor Y. Um, Pastor Y, can you put up your hand? So, um, or, or perhaps even Cheryl would love to speak to any, anyone here um, who, could, who would want to talk about how you can place your trust in Jesus. Well, let's look at the very last section Uh, Chapter 7, verses 13 to 17. Then one of the elders asked me, These in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, the great time of trouble. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's lots of um, shops here in Singapore, lots of shopping malls, um, Divocity, um, Suntech City, Plaza Singapore, um, like, um, it's, yeah. Anyhow, um, that's... You know, and Chinese New Year, what do you do for Chinese New Year? You go out and buy new clothes. Well, that's what my wife did. She, she, she goes out. Um, uh, no, so, well, I mean, her mum did it for her <laughs> when she was growing up here, uh, not here, but in, in Malaysia. But sometimes, you know, you kind of wonder, well, who has the most expensive clothes in the world? Um, and so I went to the source of all knowledge about this, uh, Google, and um, I found out that there was this dress um, that's worn, was worn by Marilyn Monroe and she's, you know, it's that famous movie, The Seven Year Itch and she's kind of like holding this dress down and, and the air vents kind of blind you up and she's kind of holding it down going like this, trying to smile at the same time and um, apparently it's worth six million Singapore dollars. Um, now I know um, prices might be expensive in Singapore but that is like above and beyond what a dress should cost. Uh, I bet you're glad you don't have to pay Marilyn Monroe's uh, credit card bill. Um, But the point is that you can have the most beautiful clothes but there is nothing, nothing that you can wear that can cover up your dirty sins and cleanse your guilty heart before Jesus Christ on the Day of Judgment that can cover you so completely 
that you will be safe. A Versace suit or a Vera Wang dress cannot help. And, and I'm told that like that's expensive clothing, right? Um, there's only one thing that can keep you safe on the day of judgment and that's these, these white robes. Again, it's symbolic language. Verse 13, they've been given as a gracious gift by Jesus to those who trust in him. In verse 14, again, it, it's, it's, it's symbolic language. Um, if, if you wash, does anyone here do washing? Um, yeah? Um, someone else does your washing, you, you send out? Oh. Anyhow, um, you know how to wash clothes? Yeah? So, um, uh, generally if you wash clothes in the blood of the lamb, what colour would it become? I'm guessing red, you know. Um, but here it says white. So, what's going on there? Basically, those who have trusted and, and, and washed their dirty clothes, their dirty sin, their dirty sinful nature, clean by trusting in the blood of Jesus who died upon the cross, can become totally clean and pure and white and faultless and spotless before God on the day of judgment. And that's why. Not through their own efforts or works, but through the work, the unique work of Jesus Christ. Incidentally, that's why I'm a Christian. Muhammad hasn't done that. Confucius hasn't done that for us. I can't do that for you. Pastor Andrew's good, but he can't wash your sins. But the gospel can. The blood of Jesus can. Jesus' death can. And so, in fact, Christians, Christians are the ones who have the most expensive clothes in the world because they've been paid for by the priceless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, dying for us on the cross to make us perfectly clean before God on the judgment day. In verse 17 we see the Lamb Jesus is also the shepherd. And the picture here is like the 23rd Psalm, you know, where the Lord is my shepherd, yeah? Um, and he leads his people um, to quiet waters, to a safe place where they can rest and enjoy God's love and his mercy and his goodness forever. Like, isn't that the kind of place that you would want to be? It's the kind of place that I would want to be. Like, if you're tired, there's rest. <laughs> if you're hungry, there's food. You know, and like, you're Singaporeans and I know you like your food. Um, you know, if you're thirsty, there's springs of living water. There's no more sunburn, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. This is heaven. The answer to the question that we asked at the very beginning, you know, isn't God asleep? You know, is God asleep? What, doesn't he care? The answer is yes. <laughs> he cares enough to send his only, one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has suffered the punishment of hell that we deserve in order to bring us back into fellowship with him and bring us to heaven where we can enjoy praising him forever and all, everything, it's a picture that everything that we could possibly want will be totally satisfied by, 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 by trusting in Jesus and, and in, in him. If we live on earth, um, all of us have and will suffer personally. Some of my colleagues, um, even this last year, 
one, one lost his wife from cancer, another lost his father, another got multiple sclerosis, which is a, which is a sickness. Um, my wife Evelyn and I have had miscarriages, a couple of miscarriages. We've lost un, unborn babies. My father died of cancer four years ago. My wife's father died of cancer when she was just 16. Don't you long for that world where that will all be gone? Maybe you've had an accident or, or sickness of some sort. Maybe you've lost someone or, or something that is precious to you. Maybe you've been treated unfairly by someone. And, and what I want to say or what God's word is saying is that God will bring that all to an end. <laughs> the best thing about suffering for Christians is that it will end when we die or when Jesus comes to meet us. For Christians, suffering in this world is as bad as it will ever get because when we're in heaven with Jesus, it will all be gone. Life with Jesus is so much greater so much wonderful, so much more glorious life as God intended it to be at the very beginning. Life as we're told in John chapter 10 to the full. To the full. The sad news about suffering for non-Christians, those who are not trusting in Jesus, is that this world is as good as it gets. Because for non-Christians, even after death, there will be worse suffering. You know, back in chapter 6, at the very end there, where, where people were hiding in caves from the judgement of God and from the Lamb, and, and it was would it even better for the mountains to fall upon them, and I can't imagine that would be very pleasant, than to have to face Jesus. And that's why we want everyone to hear the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, his death and rising to forgive us and bring us back into relationship with him. That's what we do with the Focus Ministry in Australia. That's what BPPC, Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church, this is why it exists in Singapore. So people can hear what Jesus has done and come to place their trust in him and be built up and equipped to reach out to their friends and their, their, their workmates and their classmates and their neighbours and their family so that they don't have to face this judgement but, but can be free, free by trusting in Jesus and bring more people to come in. Let me just say that if you haven't yet turned to Jesus but would like to find out more, please ask someone here. That, that the church would love to help you. The people here would love to help you to be able to do that. But please do it. Don't put it off. Don't just think, I'll do it next Sunday or I'll do it next month. Ask now. If you are Christian, if you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then keep living for him. Rejoice. Look forward to that time of heaven and think, keep asking yourself, if that's God's big plan to have all the nations gathered around him at the end of time, how can I be part of that big plan? How can I play my role? Give up your small ambitions. <laughs> live, for some, live for a great, greater vision <laughs> and ask yourself, how can I be part of it? And again, Andrew and the team here would love to be able to equip you to be reaching out to others so that 
and that final day when there were people from every nation, tribe, people and language all gathered together around Jesus in heaven singing praises to him. You can be there and wouldn't it be wonderful to think that person standing next to me is there because perhaps I told them or someone else. And Jesus can get the glory that he richly deserves. Let us pray. Let us close in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We know that our world is justly under judgment and punishment for having rejected you as the King of our world and our Creator. But you love the world you created so much. You sent your one and only Son, Jesus, to take the punishment that we deserve so that we can be free from that punishment, forgiven and come back to be in relationship with you here now while we trust in you here on earth and in the future to be with you in heaven. We pray that if we haven't yet trusted in Jesus, you would help us to find out more and perhaps even trust in him today. We pray that this new year, 2014, would be a year when we take every opportunity to share Jesus with our friends and family so that they can be part of that group from all nations, praising and giving glory to Jesus forever in heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.